alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, you brought us into this place, Lord. We pray that we would not leave here the same way that we came. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, you're here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 12. We've been in Matthew chapter 12 for about three years. Uh, it seems like a very long time we've been in Matthew chapter because it's just sermon after sermon, man. Um, but we're going to finish it up. Chapter 12 will be on to uh, chapter 13 next week. Just in verses 46 through 50, it'll be behind me. You can follow along in your Bible. It says, while he, and this was Jesus, was talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister or my mother. What's going on in this story? Uh, it's, it's really quite simple. Jesus, savior of the universe, is standing there um, doing some ministry with his disciples. And someone comes up and goes, hey, Jesus, your mother and brother are standing outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus says to them, hey, uh, you know what? My mother and my brother are the ones right here. These are my disciples, the ones that do after the will of my father. They are my mothers and brothers. Psalm 68, 6 says that God sets the solitary in families. And I, and, and I believe that. And I believe that to be true. I love that I am in the family of God. I love it. I've got, I've got brothers and sisters all over the world, uh, people that I've met that I have a, a deep abiding love with because we share a love of Jesus that is, uh, that is deep. And so it gives us a relationship unlike any other uh, earthly relationship. Now, Today we're going to be talking about the family of God. And some people would say, well, aren't we supposed to love our own families? And, and yes, that's true. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you should love your own families. But the Bible says that the will of God trumps the will of the family. First uh, Timothy 5.8, talking about families, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That means that God holds a very high standard for people that have a biological family. And he says, you know what? You have got to take care of your family. You have got to take care of those people that are your responsibility. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. The Bible is very clear that we need to take care of our own children. It's clear that we should honor our parents. It's clear that our biological families deserve a place of honor within our lives. That's why God said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the uh, land in which the Lord your God has given you. God wants us to show honor to our fathers and mothers. That's how he has designed it. And that is an eternal truth of God's word that we always should show honor to our fathers and our mothers. But Jesus makes it very clear here and in other places that the will of God trumps the will of your family. That our highest devotion, our highest commitment, and our highest love should be for God and God alone. Uh, Jesus said this, and it's, it's a very strong verse. It says in Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, do I believe that Jesus says we're supposed to hate those people? No, but I think that Jesus is making a very clear distinction here to paint a picture. You have 
got to love me so much that when the world looks at the way that you love me, they should never question if there's anybody else in your life that you love more than me. Our, 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 our obedience and our love to Jesus is more important than anything else on, on this side of heaven. Now, this is, a, this is a hard message for some of you to ingest. It's a hard message for a lot of people, especially in a world that idolizes and worships family at the center of everything. <clears throat> what happens is, is that family becomes your identity. Family becomes a thing to worship. It's, uh, and where it becomes a problem is where it becomes a, a division between you and your relationship with God. As we're walking through this today, please don't uh, misrepresent what the Bible is saying this morning. God is not telling you to not love your family. God is not telling you to not take care of your family. What God is saying is that your love for him and his priorities are more important than any other earthly relationship. <clears throat> I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to let my relationship with them get in my relation in the way of my relationship with God and doing his will. No way. I don't, I don't care who's in my life. I'm not doing that. I'm not readjusting my life for anyone, including my wife, my kids, my family, or anybody else. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about the family of God. We're going to talk about priorities, and then we're going to talk about the will of God. So let's get into this. Uh, The family as a unit is something that God created. It happened in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. God made Adam first. He looked at Adam and said, Adam, bro, you're going to need some help. So I'm going to make a woman that's going to be suitable. He made Eve, and that was the very first family. And God, uh, and and it's interesting, people say, well, why did God create family? Because it said it's not good for a man to be alone. The reason why he created families was for companionship so you could live life here. Now there's four governments that were instituted by God. The first, uh, the first government that God ever instituted was the family government. And there's a structure there and there's an authority structure. There's rules within that government. And then God created a, a individual government where you have governance over yourself. There's civil government that was created by God. And then you've got ecclesiastical government, which is church government where there's authority in there as well. Those are the four governments, but there's a government that exists within the family unit. And that is the way that God has intended it. And this uh, government established, uh, ordained by God, was an idea of a man and a woman married together, procreating, raising kids to know Jesus. That's from the beginning of time that God set it up. These people are going to populate the earth, create a bunch of other humans, and these humans are going to worship me and serve me. That was his plan. Now, as you're sitting here this morning, and if you're barren or you don't have kids or whatever, I don't want you to take that as as a condemnation. Life is what it is. But God's intention has always been families. And so when you go throughout the Bible, the the lineage of families, if you pay attention, it's actually a large part of the story of salvation. There's a reason why as you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of like who married who and uh, and what happened with their family. And there's lineages of how families went along and, and, and how families were really part of God's plan of salvation. It's why those stories are in there. It's because God wants to make it very clear the preeminence and the importance of family. These people whom you're in this room with today to worship and spend time with are not merely your fellow attenders at this church. You, you, this might be your first Sunday or your hundredth Sunday, but I will tell you, we are not your just fellow attenders. We are the household of God. He is our father and we are his children. When we gather together, we gather together as the family and the household of God. It's a serious thing. It's not a common thing. It's something that's very holy. 
We weep together. We show, show joy together. We live together. We, we live life together. That's what we do. This isn't a club. This isn't a place where you come in and you listen to good music and hear a guy talk a little bit. This is the household of faith, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the center of what God does on the earth. It's why Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially, we're supposed to show good to everybody, but the Bible makes it clear, but even more so the household of faith. That, that's how important that God places uh, his love upon his church is that we're supposed to show good to the church even more so than what we show people on the outside. I'll tell you for myself, my closest friends are Christian people. They are. And, and, and it's not like I wouldn't be friends with somebody who wasn't uh, a Christian, but honestly, how could I be friends with them? Because friends is a heart condition and it's a love relationship. I love them with the love of Jesus, but I don't have a, a heart relationship with them because we don't share the same values. We don't share the same things, what's important to me. And so as I look at my life, I mean, the, the, the greatest friends that I have are the people in this room. Um, I have other friends like Pastor Christian and uh, John Butcher and Raymond Birch and, uh, you know, Chris McMahon. Michael, like all these other guys around the nation that these guys are going after the same things that I'm going after. Like they love Jesus and they love his church and they want to do his will. And so naturally, like these are the people that I have closest relationships with. It's not necessarily the people that I went to school with or people that live in my neighborhood. It's the people that share the same love of God that I share. See, it's like this. Crystal and I, we used to live in Covington and we lived there for 17 years and we belonged to a fitness club. And, and Crystal and I, fitness is a large part of our marriage. We would go to the gym three to five times a week. Uh, that's just what we do. It's, uh, fitness has been a part of our marriage since before we got married. And, um, so we go to this gym. I literally saw these people more than I saw you, more than I saw my own blood relative families. Because, you know, when you're going to a gym on a regular basis at a regular time, there's a group of people that do the exact same thing. And you just see them all the time. And you build this kind of like, hey, using this equipment, what have you been doing this weekend kind of relationship. But I don't love those people in the same way that I love you guys. I don't love them in the same way that I love people that believe in Jesus. Not, not in a rude way, but it's like just because I see you a lot and we have close proximity doesn't mean that you and I share the same values. And when we moved and we moved to another neighborhood, it was like, see you all later, man. It wasn't like there wasn't really any love lost about it because it's a gym. There's many of those. I can work out anywhere. It's, it's a consumer product, right? I'll, I'll leave because of the price change or, you know, the bathrooms are dirty. That's, that's what you do to something that is a business. But the church is much different. The family of God is much different. The Bible says that we're the body of Christ. That's what it says. Ephesians 4.16 says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What we do when we get together as the body of Christ, friend, we are the living, breathing example to a world that says, I don't know Jesus, I can't see Jesus, to say, come in and see his body. And the Bible even says that we edify it to the benefit of ourselves. That for ourselves, when we edify God and the church grows, it's for the edification of ourselves because it edifies God because we become the body of Christ even stronger. And so the Bible says that we're the children of God. First John 3, 1, Behold what a manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. See, I reject, fully reject this idea that everybody is God's children. 
that is not biblical. It's true in a, in a uh, procreation like Adam's sense that we all came from God, but we're not all his children unless we, we are actually called his children by him. I mean, Jesus told some guys, you're of your father, the devil. You've been, here, uh, you've been that way since the beginning. If, if you're not living under the precepts of God and you're not following Jesus, the Bible does not call you a child of God. The children are ones that believe in his name. The children are one that do his will. The Bible also says that, that we're adopted. Now, a natural born child is entitled to a certain bit of natural born benefits, right? There's inheritances. There's actually laws that, that will actually make a parent take care of their children because that, that's what the responsibility is. But it's not my responsibility to take care of your children because they are not my children. I did not create them. But... If a person makes a decision to adopt someone in some ways, I think it's even more beautiful than a natural born child, right? You, you, you could have chose to not do that, but you chose to do that. You could have walked away and you walked forward and you say, you know what? No, I'm going to choose this child as my own. I'm going to love them like my own. They're going to have the full benefits. They're going to have the full inheritance. And that's what God did for us. We weren't Israel, most of us, right? We, we weren't Jews. And God looks at the Gentiles and says, you know what? I'm going to adopt them. I'm going to, I'm going to give them all the benefits as sons by Jesus Christ. And, and so these word pictures and what I'm doing here is I'm trying to get you to understand how many times in the Bible that God uses family as a picture of what it looks like within uh, the church family. And so even in first Timothy, uh, he uses these examples of how a church family should operate. And he says this in 1 Timothy 5.1, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. When, when, you're, in, when you're in a relationship with people in, in the church body, they're not just common people. Are you kidding me? No, man, this is the household and, and, and the family of God, right? Uh, Sister Iris, she, she said to me the other day, and... and and is it okay if I tell them how old you are? Is that okay? Can I tell them how old you are? Is that okay? And you're 93, 83, 88, 88. Okay, 88. <laughs> she's she's 88 years old. Okay, she and then she's probably the oldest person in the church. If if not, we'll have a fight in the parking lot afterwards. And how and how many years have you been a Christian? She's been a Christian for 60 years. Okay. So she's been a Christian for 60 years. Dude, she's been a Christian longer than I've been alive. I'm the pastor of this church, but she's like, she's a, she's like a, a pillar of the faith. Like how, how am I going to, I'm going to treat her with respect. I'm going to, I'm going to submit to her. I'm going to love her. I'm going to, I'm going to treat her as the Bible says with honor because she's my sister in the faith. She, she deserves that. Honor. She's been tilling the ground for 60 years for Jesus. Treat her as a common thing. Are you kidding me? That shames God. The, the family of God is, is an important thing. First Peter 3, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. First Peter 2.17, love the brotherhood. First Peter 1.22, sincere love of the brethren. Friend, the life that we live as the people of God is a picture of a family with all of its issues in it. Does your family not have issues? Dude, every family got issues because we're all broken, right? 
got marriage issues and kid issues and all the little things. I mean, every single one of us has stories of all the stuff that happens in our family. A church is no different. Just because you're part of a church doesn't mean we all walk around in perfection, but we bring all of that brokenness in here together and we say, you know what? We're going to make it work for Jesus. We're, we're going to love people. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to build these deep relationships that's going to show an unbelieving world what it looks like to follow Jesus. But just like a normal family, the ones that aren't committed to the family don't get the benefits of the family. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that in a rude way. You live it out in your life every single day, right? Like if you have, if you have family members that are, that are your blood relatives, but you're not in a relationship with them, you just kind of like, well, we're related, but like, we're just not close because you just don't spend time with each other. You know, I, I, um, I'm on 23andMe, that uh, DNA thing. And uh, so it's kind of fun. You get to see all your diseases and they die an early death. But then it, um, it, it also, there's a part where you can give them your uh, DNA and they'll match you together with other people that have your DNA. And I've got like 1,300 DNA relatives on that thing. My, my mom's on Ancestry.com uh, on their DNA thing. And uh, a couple years ago, she was doing it. And come to find out my mom's brother Wow, he had a daughter that nobody knowed about, but that we found out because of Ancestry.com. I have a first cousin that we didn't even know existed that, uh, you know, because of Ancestry.com, a little part of it was really, her and I went to the same junior high at the same time, and we didn't know we were first cousins. Isn't that weird? And so she lives in Fort Worth and uh, we've met each other a couple times and I don't mean any disrespect to her, but we're not close. Like we don't, we don't have any shared experiences. We don't have any family stories. You know, her dad, my uncle died many years ago. She never met him. It's just, and it's not to say, I, I mean, I love her in the sense that like she's my first cousin, but there's not any sort of relationship there. In the same way in a church family, like if you, if you come to church like once a year and then you're like, Hey, how come everybody acts like they don't know me? Cause they don't <laughs> like, and, 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 and I always tell people, man, if you want to be known, come early, stay late, come every Sunday and Wednesday. And all of a sudden you're like, gosh, I'm in at this place. Yeah, man. You just got to keep showing up. That's yeah. like, how it works. The ones that are committed to the family don't get the benefits of the family. Yeah. That's why people are like, Oh man, the church won't help me. It's not that the church won't help you. It's that the church doesn't know you. They don't know you. You've got it to be known. And and so this understanding of a church as a family helps you understand its function. Like I'm, I am, I am the pastor of this church, but I need the relationship of the church just as much as anybody else. Like I need that love. I need that encouragement. I, 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 I'm in the role of pastor, but it doesn't mean I'm not a man. It doesn't mean that I don't need other men to speak into my life or I don't need the friendships of the, of the brethren. It doesn't mean that at all. I need the ministry of the church just like anybody else needs it. But just like a world relationship, I have to be committed to, the, to it to experience the benefits. There, there's many churches that have pastors that you will see them here on the pulpit on Sunday and you don't see or hear from them any other time. You don't even see them before or after service. They walk in at the end. Of, you guys are spoiled, man. I've been to many churches where the pastor walks in during the last song and then he walks out at the last song and you never see that guy. And if you want to talk to him, call his office and you can make an appointment between nine and three, Monday through Friday. None of this immediate access text me back on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock. It doesn't exist. But I want the relationship, man. And, and, and so if you guys just like, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my heart. Um, 
Because I, because I view the church family as my family, when people leave, it hurts. It hurts. And you say, well, you know, what's, what's the problem, man? People leave churches. I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever they do. I don't leave churches. I've been here for 18 years and I'm still not leaving. I'm not, I'm committed. And, and, and part of it, just to let you know a little bit of how, how I am, like, I understand it, dude. I'm like six and a half feet tall. I walk around all, you know, confident and that kind of stuff. Cause I am, but there, there's a, there's a part of my heart that is very naive and childlike. There's a part of my heart that's broken because of the pain of my father. And so when I love you, I love you with the love of a father, but, but I also have this, this empty hole in my heart that is like a, man, I hope you love me in the same way that I love you. Like, I don't, I don't tell you I love you because I want you to come back. I love you because I love you, man. And, and, and so when, when, when I love somebody, I just like, I use the example of this. Like if I was a kid and I was in front of my house and I was playing and I had a ball and I was playing and some, some other kid comes along and says, Hey, can I play with you? We can be friends. I'm just dumb enough to assume that they want to be my friend because I want friends and I, I want those type of relationships. And then he's like, Hey, let's go into your house and play. I'm like, great. And then we go into my house and play. And then he steals all my toys and leaves as he's walking away. I go, I thought you said we were going to be friends, but what changed? I, I don't understand. And people say, well, I shouldn't take it too personally. Well, I don't know, man. I, I take this whole thing really, per, really personally. I take it really seriously. This isn't some sort of club, dude. This isn't a place where I'm just like, oh, we're going to make it good and we'll, you know, make it as comfortable as possible because we want to be rich and famous. And you know, no, dude, it's the family of God. I'm committed to this thing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not here trying to do anything less than lead you to Jesus while at the same time loving you like the family of God. It's why like this week I had coffee with somebody and they literally wanted to meet with me because they've been weeping over people that had left our church many years ago. And what they finally clicked in their brain is they said, I finally realized if I feel this way, how much worse do you feel about it? And I do, man. And it still hurts. There's people that have left that it just hurts because I love them and I wanted to be in relationship with them. I'm willing to work out anything with anybody over anything. And anybody that tells you different is lying. I love the family of God, man. I do. See, in a family, priorities are paramount. What your priorities are in a family is paramount. Verse 47, then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And this is the crux of what's going on in this scripture. Jesus is there with his disciples and someone mentions to him that they're members of his immediate family wanted to talk to him. And basically Jesus, the savior of the universe with his natural born family goes, they can wait. I'm hanging out with my real family over here. My real family are the ones that, that, that are doing the will of my father. Jesus is there with his disciples. Someone mentions that they're members of his immediate family. And he says, you know what, man, they can wait. And the inference and the priority here is that the family of God and the will of God take precedence over our biological family. Many years ago, Crystal and I uh, were, uh, she, she, uh, I don't have time to go into the whole entire story, but she never knew her father growing up. We found her father in 2003. He lived in Oregon. We tried to start a relationship with them. And, but we make the things of God, the number one priority in our family. And, and so we were supposed to go to their house for Thanksgiving. And at the time wrong, and we really felt like the Lord told us like, don't go to Oregon for Thanksgiving, stay here and minister to this family. And so we're like, uh, and the, 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 they were, you know, Christians. And so we told them, we were like, 
man, we just, we're not going to come this year, man. We just can't. Like there's this family at our church. They need us. And, and we're just, we're not going to come. We're going to stay and minister to this family. And frankly, they got really upset with us. They got really upset. They, they couldn't understand it. Like what you, the family, like you're supposed to come and, and be with the family. I'm like, no, like I thought you guys said you were Christians. Like you should understand like the things of God are the number one priority. And it's, if God needs me to do something, everything, it's a, it's a meal on a Thursday. Can we eat turkey any time of the year? Like, why does it have to be on this day? Now at the beginning, I told you guys this, the beginning of this sermon. And so don't get it twisted. We must love and care for our families. We have to. I'm, I'm not standing up here telling you I don't take care of my wife or I don't take care of my kids or I don't love them. I'm not telling you that at all. What I'm saying is it's our priorities. Sometimes you have to tell your family no to make God a priority. You have to tell them that so that they, they know what matters in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. This isn't what I'm telling you to do. This is what the Bible teaches. The Savior of the universe told his mom and his brother, chill, these people are my family because they're doing the will of the Father. It's like this. And, and I, I don't know why these stories today seem to be about me. I, I don't know, but it's just where we're at. And if you don't like it, find another church. Um, you know, my, my, daughter, my daughter, Faith, uh, you know, she's, she's such a treat. My daughter, Faith, was always good at sports. She started in, in elementary school, and, and she could just, she was good at it, man. Basketball, volleyball, track. She was just one of those kids. And so as she got into, like, junior high and high school, they always wanted her to do the elite sports. They wanted her to do the, like, road traveling sports. And, and for whatever reason, those things always cost a lot of money, and they're always on Saturday and Sunday. And so we made a distinction in our family that, uh, first off, I have very limited resources. We never did the fly and drive kind of sports teams. We let her play some of the elite, <laughs> elite <laughs> select. You selected to pay more. We, uh, uh, <laughs> so we selected to pay more and put, them on, put her on a team. But we had a very clear thing. We said, okay, that's great, but you're not going to miss church on Sunday. And, and the coaches and the teams would always be very like, well, she can't miss the game on Sunday or else she can't play. And I'm like, then she won't play because we have church on Sunday. She'll complain a game afterwards. And frankly, because Faith was usually the best person on the team, they were like, okay, just come after church and then we'll let you play in the second game because they knew they couldn't win without her. And so all through Faith's uh, career, we never paid for extra coaching. We never did that whole game that people played. And so Faith got done with high school. And lo and behold, she gets a full scholarship to go play basketball in San Diego, San Diego Christian uh, uh, down in San Diego. It's beautiful, right? It's a word picture to me where like Faith said, we're well, going to put God first. I'm going to put the things of God first. The world would say play games on Sundays, spend all this money. That's the only way you're going to get ahead. But faith was like, no, I'm going to put God first. I'm going to put youth group first and worship first. And then whatever happens, happens. She gets the full scholarship. And then she goes, I don't want to go. I want to go to Bible college instead. <laughs> like, all right, faith, that's fine. I, I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be prouder of her. I mean, I still would have liked her to see her drop threes on other people, but whatever, you know, she's learning the Bible. <laughs> I mean, take, take church, for example, your week has 168 hours. That's how many hours you get every single week. If you have a job, uh, including commute time, I'm being really generous here at the time. That's five days at 12 hours a day for work. I mean, if you only work eight to nine hours, that gives you an hour, hour and a half of commute. If you're commuting farther than an hour and a half, find a new job. And so, um, 
That, that takes up a bunch of your time. And then you've got to sleep. I'll allow you to sleep seven to eight hours. And so if you're working 12 hours, five days a week, and then you're sleeping seven to eight hours, what that really does is that leaves you with 52 hours a week that is yours. Like that's time that you have. And so what always baffles me is that, you know, when it comes to things of God, like coming to church, people are like, well, you know, I, I had pancakes with my kids on Sunday morning and, and that's no less holy than church. I'm like, well, maybe if you had donuts, that'd be true. But it's, um, it's, so you have 52 hours a week to spend time with your kids. And so the one time that you have to worship God collectively is the body of Christ and the family of Christ. That's the time you're having pancakes. You had 52 hours, man. You could have made your kids a priority. You could have made your family a priority. You could have made your marriage a a priority. But you said out of all that time, there's a a one hour and 30 minute window on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock, which is the only time I have to spend with them. Bro, you're managing your life wrong. You're managing your life wrong, man. And, And I'll tell you, part of the problem with people is that they don't manage their lives effectively. So when it comes to making God a priority, they they consume themselves with everything else and use that as a reason of why they can't make God a priority. You know, the, if you would square away your life and clean up your house and car and, and disciple your children, get your marriage intact, you, you would quit hiding behind the problems of your life as a reason why you can't make God a priority. And then you have, you know, free time and, and, and margin in your life. And then you can actually be like, yeah, I can make the things of God a priority. And, and lo and behold, you can actually give God two hours on a Sunday or maybe a couple more hours a week doing something else. And I'll tell you what happens with a lot of people. People say, well, you know, I got other stuff going on. Yeah, you do your shows. You got to watch your shows. You got them saved. And oh, I'm involved in this thing right now. And oh, and I, I got to be on social media. And I, I have to take, you know, two hours to do a task. It's take me 15 minutes because I'm actually lazy in my heart. And that's why I can't make God the priority in my life. Come on, let's be real. Let's be real, man. Everybody's got two hours a week they can give to God. Everybody. And if not, dude, sit down and I will go through your schedule with you and we will square it away. I'm here to help you. What's the priority, man? Is it making your kids happy? Making your spouse happy? And and I don't mean to be prideful. I say this as humbly as possible because I'm trying to paint a picture here. My wife and I met each other with an understanding that said, I am never going to love you as much as I love Jesus. You are always going to be second place in my heart and in my life. And she was like, fine, I'm doing the same thing to you, buddy. And so we've lived our whole entire lives making the things of God our number one priority. And, and, and so that means that people said to me, well, you go in the ministry, make sure the, the, the ministry isn't your mistress. I'm like, it's both of our mistresses. And people say, well, you know, don't spend too much time to make, you know, family's the priority. And we're like, forget that, man. We, we, we gave all of our extra time to the things of God. And wow, and I, as humbly as possible, here I am. 18 years later, my son loves Jesus. My daughter loves Jesus. They both are good Christian people, but they had it very clear their whole entire lives. You are not the priority in our lives. The things of God are the priority in our lives. And and, and it's really interesting when you do that with your kids and then you show them like, this is what we do to worship God. Then all of a sudden they're like, well, that's what life looks like. Life's not centered around me. See, priorities are found in what we desire it's in what we look at. Psalm 119.36 says, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetedness, 
Turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. What, what do you desire in your life? What are you coveting? What are you, are you overcome in your mind with things that you don't have that you want, that other people have things that you want? And so that's all you think about. That's what you desire. Like, man, I need to work more hours and I need to make more money because I've got to have this stuff. I got to have this stuff on this side of heaven because it really shows in what we love. First John 2.15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's what the Bible says. And so when people say, well, I love God, but I also love all this stuff and I love these hobbies. And I'll be frank with you. I get really tired of Christian people saying, oh, these COVID restrictions are really ruining my life. Where's your priorities, man? Because I've, I've been waiting for this day for years when finally you can't go out to eat and you can't go to a restaurant and you can't go to an event and you can't go to your kids' sports events. You're like, hey, my life is no good. Where's your joy, man? Are the things of God not enough? Is, is Jesus not enough? Because that's what he's always wanted. He's always wanted your full allegiance. He's always wanted your full heart. And then all of a sudden the world they ain't gotta, can't do this. I'm like, man, bump that. I don't need to do I don't need, I don't need what y'all got anyway. Go ahead and shut everything down. I'll be here in the house of God, worshiping his name. Our desires are what we set our heart on. First Chronicles 22, 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Is that what your heart is set on? Is your heart set on to worship God and to serve him? Is your heart settled on the inside of like, you know what? I am a Christian and my life is centered around worshiping God. It's centered around what I do. And there's nothing else that's going to take priority over that. Our, our, our priorities are found in, in who we serve. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other or love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what the Bible teaches, which is true, if there's anything, whether it's a spouse or a job or a kid or a hobby or a desire, it becomes an idol, uh, becomes idolatry to you. And you begin to serve that thing and love that thing more than you love and serve Jesus. What's your priority? Are you, are you able to stand there and look at the idols of your life and say, you want, you're not my family. I'm not going to, this is my family. I'm going to be like Jesus. Our priorities are found in what we set our minds on. Colossians 3, 2 says that we should set our mind on things above, not on things of the earth. When you're going through the day, what does your mind think about? What do you reflect on? Because I'll tell you, if you're not reflecting on the things of God, you're probably filled with doubt, disbelief, pain, anger, frustration, worry, and doubt. Is God, has God taken care of you such uh, this far? Did you eat? Are you safe? Is he taking care of you? And you're worrying about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. The Bible said, what, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? But yet you choose, you choose with your own mind to not set your mind on things above. The Bible makes uh, clear that our priorities are found in what we are conformed to, Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. I'll let you in on a little secret. I don't want to be like this world. I don't care if they like me. I don't care whether they approve of me. I care whether Father God approves of me. That's the number one place where I try to find my approval. They never liked me anyway. They didn't like me before I was saved. Why would I think they would like me after I was saved? The Bible says we're the scum of the earth to them. We're an offense, a stench to them. I don't want to be like them. The Bible says that we, we need to count as rubbish the things of this world. Philippians 3, 8, yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now that all things is a high bar, is it not? Now, some translations don't say rubbish. They say dung. They say poop. That means everything besides Jesus is poop to me. It's what it says. It's what the Bible says. But have you gotten to that point where you're just like, dude, I don't even care about that, man. I care about the things of God. That, that's what's most important to me. That's why the Bible says that it, what we worship matters. Uh, Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Worship is, worship is what you adore more than anything. Do you, do you adore your time, your money, yourself, your hobbies, your influence? Do you idolize your laziness? Your work? Your worship shows your priorities. And, and, and so what are your priorities? Are, are you looking back to your family responsibilities instead of those who do the will of the Father? And, and again, it's, uh, the, the, the pragmatic example of this is, and it happens in everybody's family, is uh, <laughs> I never understand how Easter became a family holiday. Like every year at Easter, like sometimes attendance is down on Sundays on an Easter. I'm like, where are we at? Like, oh, we were getting together with family. It's the pinnacle of the Christian year. Like it's the day we get together that we worship that Jesus came back from the dead. But you're like eggs and, you know, stuff like that. And you guys do an egg hunt at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. That's, that's what your family does. It's not a family day. It's a worshiping Jesus day. It's a day for you to tell your, uh, you know, unsaved family. You know what? I, I'm actually going to go to church on Easter because that's what the day is about. It's not about ham and eggs, man. That's not what it's about at all. It's about worshiping Jesus. Moving the kingdom forward is the only thing we're going to take to heaven with us. It's all that matters. Any other investment, it's not going to outlast heaven. It's just not. Jesus says they're standing outside. They said they're standing outside seeking to speak with you. And let them stand, man. It's not my priority. It's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on kingdom business. That, that's what I'm consumed with. You know, when, when last week, man, worship, if you were, if you missed last week, dude, worship was fire. Like the, the they're like hosing us down. It was so like flames this week. It's just about as fiery. It's really good, man. And, and, and so like, I'm always like, why, why would anybody not want to be in this? Because for me, if you, if you guys are always like, man, what makes Matt tick? The, all I've ever wanted, I never wanted to be rich. I never wanted to be famous. I never wanted to tour the world. I never, all I ever wanted to do was create a church where people worship and love Jesus. And, and the reason why I've always wanted that is because Jesus changed my life when I was 15 years old. And all I ever wanted after that was for other people to experience what I've experienced so that they can experience Jesus. So when I'm here and I see the church like on fire, dude, I weep. I weep because I'm like, oh, praise God, man. We're doing it. We're doing it for Jesus. So here, here's the third point. That was the intro. I'll get to the end. Um, come on, man. That was funny. I know you guys hear it all the time. We're, 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 turning, the, we're turning the corner. Um, you know, if I wouldn't have had to share the engagement story, you guys be out of here by now. Blame them. All right. So, so what do we do? We do the will of the father. Very simply. We established that the church family is a family. We established that we got to have priorities. And so what do we do? We do the will of the father. Like if you love Jesus and you want to know God, you should want to know the will of his father. Verse 49. And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here's my brother. Uh, excuse me. Here are my mothers, my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister, my mother. I don't know about you, but I want to be the brother of Jesus. If that sounds pretty cool, I want to be in that group. But, but there's a price tag to being in that group, and it's whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. Th- those, those of you that reject Christ and refuse to do his will are not his family. The Bible does not describe that at all. And the price tag is very easy. Like, I want to do the will of the Father, brother and sister of Jesus. And, and think about this. If Jesus rejected his, his biological family to do the will of the Father, Jesus rejected his biological family to do the will of the Father, and you think somehow that you're going to make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth when you don't even make Jesus the priority, and he rejected his own biological family? What world are you living in, bro? Yeah. No way, man. You got to make the things of Jesus the number one thing in your life. They ain't my family. They're not in my circle. We, we should want to do the will of the Father. We should want to be in that. So, so what's the will of the Father? What's the, and this is, man, I, I have, I've had so many people ask me this question. What's the will of the Father? Now, young people, if you're under 18, look at me. All you old people are like, I'm looking at you. You people in this row right here. I know there's a bunch of you. You guys looking at your pastor right here? Yes, pastor. All right, perfect. All right. I'm going to tell you guys something. I want you to know this. As you are developing in who you are as a person, a lot of adults in your life are going to ask you questions that say like, so what are you going to be when you grow up? What's going to be your job? And, and so what's really hard is in education uh, nowadays or just in life, there's kind of like this idea of like, find your job, find your calling, right? And they, and they kind of make it into this like super spiritual thing uh, where what you do for your job is somehow connected to how much God loves you and what he wants you to do on this earth. Now, there's some jobs that are calling, but some jobs are just a J-O-B, yeah. right? A, a job is just a tool. It's a shovel. I don't care whether you are a janitor or whether you own a corporation. If you're a doctor, or you drive a school bus. None of that matters to God. What matters is, are you going to make the things of God the number one priority in your life? Right? A job is just a tool. It's a way to take care of your family, as God told you to take care of your family. It's a way for you to support the work of the ministry of the church so that more people can come to know Jesus. We had a salvation first service where someone gave their life to Jesus. We'll, we'll, we'll preach like this every single week until Jesus comes back to see people get saved. And so you, when you begin to think of your job, not as like, a, hey, what I do with my job matters as much as what I do with my job. And how am I going to go? You guys with me? Do you understand what I say? Say yes. Perfect. Might be something in there for you guys too. So what's the will of the Father? Let me get through this real quick. We're almost out of here. Listen, nobody wants to be done with this more than I do. Okay. When you're up here and you're thinking I'm talking for my own benefit, once it hits about 1220, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I wish at this moment, I was like, oh, you guys got it, honey, where are we going to lunch? But I love Jesus. So we're going to finish this up right. All right. Please don't ever think I'm not up hungry wanting to turn it down quick so I can go eat some food. Okay. We're in this together, but we don't want to miss what God wants to say. Okay. What's the will of the Father? This is the great verse that encapsulates all of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. And that's a great litmus test, is what I'm doing pleasing to God. In my relationship with my wife, we don't have lists posted around the house of what we do and we don't do. We have an understanding of what pleases one another, and so we try to do things around the house that pleases one another. And so in, in the absence of a clear, direct order, when we're faced with a choice, we can ask 
ask ourselves like, well, if my aim is to please him, then whatever I'm doing, I've got to make sure that this is pleasing to God. You should have an understanding of, of, of what things you think are going to please God. But what's his will? We've got a few scriptures. His will is that we would repent, that we would turn to him in faith away from our sins. Acts 17, 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. God's will is that we would love one another. Second John 5 and 6. It says this. It says, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote you a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk out according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. God wants us to repent and turn from our sins. God wants us to love one another. God wants us to do good things. First Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When we are good as Christians, it's not because we do our good to get to heaven it's because we're just been god is good we should do good god's been a a blessing us we should be a blessing to other people jesus serves us we should serve other people and so when we're good people we silence the mouths of people that say god isn't real god's will is that we would give thanks first thessalonians 5 8 and everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you you did not get here on your own you didn't gather it on your own you didn't even choose to be born you should be thankful that god gave you this life the bible says that it is God's will that we would lean on him. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The Bible says that it is God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It is anything outside of a man and a woman married together, having sexual relationships. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality, and it is not the will of God. It's God's will that we would seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto to you. Do you notice that all those things about God's will have nothing to say about what you do for a job, where you live, what you drive, what your hobbies are? None of that. None of that. God's will is not encapsulated in those things. And it's the principles, not the specifics. And people want specifics. Like, well, I don't know if I should buy this. Is it pleasing to God? I don't know if I should go here or do it. Is it pleasing to God? Are you seeking first? Are you, are you making his will above all else? Those principles will guide you. And so when you come up to something and you say, well, should I or shouldn't do this? Because I want to be a brother or sister to Jesus. I want to be in his will. What should I do? As many of you know, and, and I'm ending with this, I was in the military. I served in the U.S. Army for six years. And in the Army, they, they have this term, and they say, in a military manner. And, and, and that's a very broad term. And, 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 and you get this in your mind. And so if you're standing in a room and someone comes in and goes, straighten up these chairs. And then you leave you're like, oh, we're supposed to set up the chairs. You're supposed to do it in a military manner. And it's, and it's undefined, but a military manner is basically something that's safe, quick, efficient, straight, orderly, crisp, honoring, enthusiastic, dress right dress, meticulous, thorough, etc. Like when you're in the military, you know what a military manner looks like. It's the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you clean a latrine. There's a military manner in which you do it. You don't have to have a direct order of, show me the step-by-step of how to clean a toilet. No, man, if I'm going to clean a toilet, it's going to be orderly, crisp, honoring, enthusiastic, dress right, direct, meticulous, and thorough. That's what it is. That's how you do it in a military manner. So when it comes to the will of God, friend, you know what it looks like, man. 
You can't play dumb. You can't say, well, I would do it if I know what it is. Do what's pleasing to God. It will be his will. It'll line up with his word and it'll be excellent and pure and right. And it's noble and sweet. You you picture Jesus in the room being proud and you honor God. You're walking in his will. You're his brother, your sister, your mother, his father, and you're in the family of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Now, if you're not in the family of God, if you're not a Christian, you'd like to become one this morning. It's really quite easy. You just give up everything and turn towards him. If you've never made that decision before to become a Christian, it's really quite easy. Just turn from your sins this morning. Say, man, I'm done living in the gutters. I want want to count everything else in my life as rubbish. I don't want to love anything else. I just want to love Jesus. I just want to follow his will. If you've never made that decision before and you say, you know what, Pastor, today is the day, man. I'm done. I'm, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm going to live for him. I want to pray with you this morning. Would you just raise your hand to Jesus and say, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to make that decision for the first time? Hand held high. I see that hand. Praise God. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Now, if you'd like to, you can walk up front and say, we'll pray with you this morning. Yeah, man, come up here. Praise God. Proud of you, young man. Tucker, would you please pray with this young man? You can just come over here, brother. I'm so proud of you. That's what Jesus does. Right here, right here. Tucker's going to pray with you. Right there. Jesus still saves, man. Change the direction of that family. Don't let this moment pass. Is there anybody else that needs to give their life to Jesus this morning? Maybe you know the truth. Maybe you say, you know, Pastor, I've done that before. But man, I've been lost. I don't know what happened. I, I just, gosh, I, I'm not serving Jesus. I know the truth, but I'm not. But today you want to rededicate your life to Jesus. You want to come back to him. And you'd say, you want, I'm, I'm going to come back to Jesus. I'm done living for the world. If you need to make that decision, we want to pray with you as well. You can raise your hand right now and we'll pray with you. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? Now as an act of obedience, if you'd like, you can come up here and you can stand at the altar and someone will pray with you as well. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Roger. Would you just come stand up here and pray with this gentleman, please? God's doing something. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Just help him rededicate his life. I'm proud of you. Praise God. Just pray with him, Roger, would you please? Don't let this moment pass. Thank you, Jesus. You can come up if you want to get prayed for. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Father, oh Lord, we want to do your will. We want to do your will, Jesus. God, I, I, Father, I just pray this morning that I made it clear that this isn't at the expense of our families. We love our families. Moms and our dads, our brothers and our sisters. We want to make you first above all things. As your word declares it declares it. And so God, today in our hearts, Lord, we just make you the number one priority in our lives, God. Whatever you desire, whatever you want, we're going to give it to you. We're going to do it for you because you're worth it. 
and we love you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch.